Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown. From the 1902 Melier masterpiece, A Trip to the Moon, through to Ben Hur's chariots, onto cars, planes, bikes, and then spaceships from a galaxy far, far away, to the ghost-busting 59 Cadillac Futura duplex, to the time-traveling DeLorean, movie vehicles have transported us through our imagination. Real or fiction, everyone feels the need, the need for our fact hunter, Neil, to give us 10 facts on movie vehicles. Hit it, Neil. Thank you very much, Pav. So here we go. Bond's iconic Aston Martin DB5 wasn't the first Bond car, but was the first of his vehicles to be loaded with gadgets, like the gun, smokescreen, and the ejector seat, to name but a few. The original name of Star Trek Starship Enterprise was the USS Yorktown, named after a World War II aircraft carrier. For the movie Back to the Future, they used three DeLoreans in all, one of which had to be cut to pieces, and while another's doors kept sticking while filming. William Daniels is famous for being the voice of Kit from Knight Rider. Alas, he isn't credited in all of the opening or closing credits. This was to make an air of mystery around it to make it seem realistic. Tron's light cycles are cool, aren't they? And the upgrade in Tron Legacy is even cooler. Now, with the help from the design team at from Hot Wheels, there is versions that can be driven on the road. <clears throat> you may find this one odd, but the first Batmobile was actually a red hot rod. Introduced in Batman's very first appearance in Detective Comics 27, there was nothing special about this Batmobile. It wasn't packing any Bat-inspired features or emblems. Now, originally, the writers of Doctor Who thought it would be fun if the TARDIS changed its appearance in every episode to blend in with its surroundings. But when they discovered this idea proved to be too much for their budget, they decided to keep the TARDIS permanently as stuck as a police box and explained that the spaceship's chameleon circuit was broken. 
Now, originally, Ecto-1 was imbued with more sinister present. Ackroyd, who co-penned the initial drafts with Harold Ramis, described the Ecto-1 as black with purple and white strobe lightings, giving it an ethereal purple glow. It was also to have supernatural powers, including interdimensional travel and the ability to dematerialize. The dark paint was scrapped after the cinematographer pointed out how often the car would be shot in the nighttime. In the Generation 1 timeline, Optimus Prime was simply created as the leader of the Autobots, but in a revised revised version of his origin story, he began life as a simple dot worker named Orion Pax. And the Millennium Falcon was designed last minute after George Lucas was eating his hamburger. Is that it? That's it. Goodness me, that felt like more than 10. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't. (laughs) Well, here we go. Uh, This is one I've really been looking forward to. Um, Hello, Neil. uh, Hello there, Um, We are joined by an old friend from, we were trying to work out before we started uh, recording, probably five, six, seven years since we've last spoken, to the one and only Filmumentaries podcaster, Filmumentaries documentary, Filmumentary maker, the one and only Jamie Benning. Hello, Jamie. Hi guys, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it has has been a long time. I think, yeah, four or five years. It's got to be at least. You were one of the first podcasts I did as well. It certainly sticks in my mind anyway. Did we give oh, you the bug to go yeah. and make your own? Is that what? Yeah, it maybe, maybe, maybe you <laughs> were the, that spark <laughs> that set me on this new journey. Yeah. Well, that was a long time ago, though, wasn't it? Movie Heaven. That's right, wasn't it? Movie yes, Heaven. that was it. Yeah. Um, we will talk about your excellent podcast and your mm-hmm. excellent documentaries uh, a little bit later on, but we're going to crack on with our movie vehicles top ten. Uh, so, Jamie, what's your number ten? My number ten is the telephone box from Bill and Ted. Um, not necessarily a vehicle that you would think of in the strictest sense, but, you know, those guys use it to move around in time. Um, not a ripoff of Doctor Who, apparently. The writers, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, said they were completely unaware of Doctor Who. But what I like about it is that it's a sort of regular everyday object that we, well, we used to see lots of, maybe not so much now, <laughs> telephone no. booths. So and then they made it kind of extraordinary and and accessible. So I kind of imagine in what was it, 1989, there were probably lots of uh, kids jamming themselves into telephone booths and and playing out their their sort of Bill and Ted fantasies, as it were. (laughs) I always thought that like British phone boxes are sort of like very classic with the red phone box. But Mm. I've always thought the American ones just felt a little bit cooler because they had like the the sliding the folding like cons- door and, yeah. the door yeah mm. um i think maybe the first one i ever saw was from Spot- superman when when superman yes. gets, gets, yeah, gets yeah. Uh, yeah. in one of them um not in your top 10 then neil no no to Ooh. be honest i forgot about it and do they use <laughs> it in the new movie Is, i do know i haven't seen the new, seen the new movie it's weird because yeah. i used to love those two movies in mm. the i remember when they first like arrived on on channel four they used to show them a lot on channel four and kind of fell in love with those movies um having been a bit of a history dropout myself. Mm. Um, I didn't like my history teacher, so I didn't do it for GCSE or A-level. <laughs> um, and it sort of was reminding me, actually, I did enjoy the, sort of some of the historical aspects. I mean, it's a goofy movie about a couple mm. of metalheads. But um, yeah, I, I had a bit of an affection for it, but I haven't seen it for many, many years. I think it's one of those movies where the sequel is better than the original. Mm. 
I still I still maintain yeah, it's that. death, isn't it? Death is yeah. like it's just so funny in um bogus journey, isn't it? The second yeah. one. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's um obviously George Carlin was mm. in them both, wasn't he? And how he did was. they get have you have you seen the new one? Paul? I have seen the new one. I can't remember whether they I'm sure they must use the, the phone box. I'm sure they do. It doesn't seem like they could do it without right. using no. the yeah. phone box. It's yeah. part of the iconography, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean, it, uh, from what I can, the trouble is that it couldn't have been that great a movie for me because I can't really remember anything about it, mm. apart from the fact that it looked like they de-aged Keanu Reeves's face. But I don't <laughs> think they did. I think it's just the fact he didn't have a beard. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And he's, yeah. you know, he's one of these Peter Pan types, and he that just looks amazing, and he's nearly sixty probably, and he just, yeah. like, he's just <laughs> the bastard. Anyway, Neil, you're number ten. So this is the Lotus from The Spy Who Loved Me. Now, <laughs> I got the toy car before I even knew where, where it came from and used to play with it and be able to press the buttons and send the missiles off and play with it in the bath and then saw the movie and it was still just as cool then as what the toy I had. Um, and it's just one of those things that growing up was whenever I was asked what movie car would you have, that was the one because I thought, well, nothing can stop you, could I? If I wanted to go on a booze run to France, off I go off the Dover Cliff and drive <laughs> straight to France. I just love it. And I still think it's probably the most iconic, apart from the DB5, the most iconic Bond car that has ever graced our screen. That's my that's my car. number seven. Yeah. That's my number seven. Yeah. The trouble is I'm terrible with cars. I got you say DB5 or whatever. I got no that's just words. It doesn't mean anything to me. I got no <laughs> idea what it means, but I can remember that was 77, wasn't it? The it was, yeah. So the same year that Star Wars mm. came out and I can remember how it looked like a spaceship. That's it. Because obviously it's underwater, but it's like sleek design mm. with the, like, the little fins that come out and the spoiler on the back and, and i had black slats down I, the back. yeah i had that same toy yeah and so, i yeah and i love that car it was just mm. one of those cars that you sort of think because it and also like i was a massive miami vice fan back in the 80s and the, and i was said if i ever bought a dream car it'd be the ferrari testarossa but it sort of looked that same kind of angular yeah you know just that sort of look um but yeah, I don't know anything about cars. Sometimes. And it felt like the future, didn't it? That car. It I, as a kid, yeah, I thought, "Ooh, is this what's coming?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. It did look like something from the future. It did. Right. My number ten is the 1979 Ford LTD, or it might be limited, Country Squire Family Station Wagon from National Lampoon's <laughs> Vacation. But, you know, that was on my top fifteen, as was the the Lotus that you just mentioned, but it right. didn't make it into my top ten. Now, the thing about that car is if you hate it now, wait until you drive it. (laughs) And I love that line. There's something about that car. It's not a cool car. It's the it's the absolute opposite of the cool car. It's a beige car. (laughs) But it it go it really goes through some wars in that movie. Um, And it's one of my favorite comedy movies, National Lampoon's Vacation, Mm. Um, mainly because of Christy Brinkley. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's my number ten. For I've uh, actually seen that car up close. I work um, I've worked a number of years on the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is a event where a lot of vintage cars get together and current cars as well. And they did have a family dressed up in the costumes driving really? uh, oh. on the track there. Yeah, a few years back. It's all the wood paneling and everything. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we didn't have any cars like that in the UK at that no. time. You know, a huge estate car like that. I guess the nearest thing would have been like a Volvo or something in Europe. Mm. But I remember thinking, wood paneling, you don't see that. 
yeah. ever in the UK. It was a very American <laughs> thing. This is this car costs money, even though the wood paneling's fake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of an indication as to its value, isn't it? Uh, right, Jamie, you're number nine. I've gone for the US CSS Nostromo from Alien, 1979. Um, Nostromo, it was named after a Joseph Conrad novel from 1904, apparently. And it's this huge commercial towing vehicle carrying 20 million tonnes of cargo. It's just this immense ship. But despite the exterior, what I love about it is the interior and the way in the opening of the movie, um, that environment is revealed to us. It's where we're going to spend, you know, the next 90%, well, the, about 90% mm. of the film, apart from when they, they land and, and start looking for eggs. Um, <laughs> uh, it sets the boundaries and it sets the parameters of what's going to come. And immediately we feel kind of closed in. And in fact, it was based on a World War II submarine, apparently. Um, and then you've got that cool room um, of Mother, the onboard computer, mm. which apparently was inspired by a cathedral and all the lights are to sort of represent candles in this sort of sanctified room. Um, so I've always kind of been in love with not necessarily the outside of it, but the inside of it I've always adored. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it was one of those things like in Star Wars and really Scott was inspired by Star Wars, you know, to have this kind of used universe. And he got Roger Christian, one of the production designers, to, to, to build some of those sets as well. So there's like bits of a calculator stuck in there and there's like a an old seat from a car. And yeah, I just love the kind of mishmash nature of it. Yeah. It was, I think it was the first spaceship I saw growing up in a movie that I thought was real. It looked mm. real. Mm. I mean, <clears throat> Star Wars has elements of that, but it still had the sort of make-believe of the Millennium Falcon and that. Mm. But that one definitely, I thought, you know, it, it really, and still to this day, I think it holds up in the effects mm. and the, the design of it. And it looks perfectly plausible and real, doesn't mm. it? Well, there, mm. there's nothing flashy about it either, mm. is there? It's not a flashy spaceship. It looks like it's something that's been sent out into space to, to carry cargo. Yeah. Because in space no, is what they always yeah. say, don't they, about aliens? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, that's a good. I, again, that was one that I didn't think of, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I should have thought of that one. Uh, Neil, you're number nine. So it's the Bat Bike from Nolan's Batman universe. Um, it just blew me away that it's a real physical working machine. But also, the first time I ever watched that movie when they re when they introduced it was on the IMAX at Waterloo. You know, the big one in London, and the noise and the sound literally put the hairs on the back of my neck going up. I just, I, for some reason, I don't know what it was um, and what it is about that bike in particular. But yeah, I've, I've now, I've, we've seen it, haven't we? Of course, we saw it in LA, Pav. Um, we did, it was on our on business display, trip. Yeah, on our business trip. Um, and I just, even looking at it in the flesh, it's just one cool fucking thing. I wish I could ride a motorbike so I could try and get one. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. I will, I will just say we always refer it to a business trip just in case my wife is listening. It's just so she just officially we went to LA and sure. it was a business trip it just was. in case she listens. She never mm -hmm. listens, but just in yeah. case she doesn't. Um, but is it, Batman's, um, is it called the Bat Bike? I think so. I don't understand that it's not. I haven't seen anywhere when I, I sort of Googled it and looked at the pictures and the design that they actually made. I, I think it was five of them in all that were properly used. Um, yeah, they just refer to it as the Bat Bike. All right, okay. So, and obviously, those movies were filmed in IMAX, like Nolan loves. And the, the, yeah, the literal, the screen and the sound when I first saw that, I don't think I've experienced anything since like it. It was just blew me away. 
absolutely blew me away. Mm. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, my number nine is the Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. Um, I love the fact that they, I'm not sure whether they actually did build the whole Black Pearl for real. But um, when they're showing, when they've got the, the, the scenes when they're on deck as such, it just looks amazing. I do like those, the pirate era of vessels. They just look so grand and intricate and beautiful and just the way that they um, are designed. I think that's, that's with any of these movie vehicles and especially when we inevitably get to Star Wars. It's the production design mm. of a lot of these things that they take something that is a normal thing and tweak it to make it unique and beautiful. And I think something like the Black Pearl looks like a normal ship, if you like. But when you start really looking at it, it's just it. It's just a beautiful piece of art, if you like. Mm. Um, and the fact that they then did the um, oh, what was the Flying Dutchman, which was again, I mean, all the ships in in that that sort of whole series of movies were were beautifully designed. But my favourite is the Black Pearl. I so, never took you as a pirate. I really you didn't. never took me as a pirate. Oh, no, <laughs> I thought you knew me. <laughs> um, right, uh, Jamie, you're number eight. My number eight is the Orca from Jaws, nineteen seventy-five. Um, I like the, as you know, being me, of course, I like the behind-the-scenes story that uh, production designer Joe Alves went and found it in Massachusetts, and uh, it was a a lobster boat and it was named the warlock and he built an extension on the top and made oversized windows and put all the character into it. And it does feel like an extension of Quint, you know, the captain mm. it's weathered, it's got experience, it's modified for its needs by him. And the name Orca is there because I believe the, an actual Orca is the only predator, the only natural predator of the great white shark. So all of this stuff is going on, you know, mm. it's whether whether you know those things or not, this sort of there's layers to it. And we, you know, we spend the whole second half of the movie on that boat, on that boat. And it is like the fourth character in a way. Mm. Mm. Um, there were several of them built. There was one that was built to sink and unsink and sink again <laughs> multiple times. Um, and I've spoken to Joe actually on my podcast, Joe Alves, the production designer at length about about Jaws. And um, yeah, I've just always had a real fondness for it. I did at one time toy with the idea of buying a little model of it because I've always just liked the way it looked because it looks mm. kind of dumb. You know, it doesn't look like it's good for the job. No. But of course, uh, we know the outcome in the end. Now, wasn't it right that Steven Spielberg, when he was doing the tour at Universal, yeah. found the original or one of the originals like at the, well, on, on the Jaws ride or something? Wasn't he it? used to go and sit on it um, and, and just hide away from his his office on the lot there. And you know, sit there and contemplate. If he was having a difficult time on a movie, he'd sit there on the orca or one of the original orcas and would remember, oh, it can't be as bad as it was back then in 1974 yeah. in the open ocean with nothing working and going over budget and over time and writing the script at night ready for the next morning. So, yeah, it was there for a long time. And then it got kind of scrapped, I believe. Yeah, that's um, right. That's what I thought. Yeah. Which, is, uh, which is quite sad. But, you know, the, a lot of these things that are on my list are from that era when movie props weren't kept you know they were just made for the film and then they were chucked in a skip yeah it's crazy isn't it absolutely mm, crazy. It if you think, think you probably it. think of all of the the different 
props and 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 vehicles and things that have just gone to waste that nobody mm. realized what they were or film cells or mm. animation cells oh it's yeah. it doesn't bear thinking about neil you're number eight right this is this is back to childhood it was a car <laughs> that i always always wished that my dad had and would take me to school in and everything like that and it was the trans am from Smokey and the bandit that's my number six. That's number, <laughs> number five. Is it? Oh, it's, it's an iconic vehicle. It's. I mean, I don't know a lot about cars. I don't know whether they're good cars, bad cars or whatever, but I do know that <clears> it looks bloody cool. It's a cool car. And I still think it looks bloody cool now. And again, it's an extension of the character in it, isn't it? Exactly, you know, um, yeah. I, I believe that the, the director, Hal Needham, convinced Pontiac to have the car in the film. Right. And they were given four cars and then and then three of them were in the movie. One was for promotional yeah. reasons. But it apparently boosted sales by 25,000 units that, that following year. Really? Um, I, I mean, it jumps over creeks. Mm. It speeds away from police. It hides in a truck convoy. You know, you, you whack on that tune eastbound and down and see the Trans Am <laughs> burning around. It doesn't get much better than that. No, it, it doesn't. No. And it's, a real, <laughs> it's a real sort of picture of the 70s, isn't it, as well? Yeah, absolutely. It is. There's just, it's, it sort of sums the 70s up. But and yeah, what it, also, like, everybody wanted to be Burt Reynolds. Yeah, that, back then. Yeah. He yeah. was one of the coolest guys around. He just was. Yeah. You know, and you've got the hat, you've got the pretty girl sat on the passenger seat and him doing his ha 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 laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah. What more do you need? Dom de Louise, I think, was in the second one, wasn't he? I think in the second I think one. He was yeah. a doctor in the second one, wasn't he? That's Cannibal yeah. Run, you're thinking about um, now, isn't it? No, because he's in both oh. of the Cannibal Runs, yeah, isn't he? How Needham directed the first Cannibal Run. I don't think he did the second the, though, did the, he? Right. Yeah, the second Smoking the Bandit had the elephant that they were trying that's to Yes, that's right. And it he was like yes. a doctor that they That's sort of, right, yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen the second one for many, many years, you know. No, no, no. It was the third one, wasn't there? There was. Yeah, I didn't think anybody for. talks yeah. about it. <laughs> Nobody talks about it. I don't think Burt Reynolds was in it, was he? I think no, I think there was like driver. a maybe there was like an outtake from a second movie in the third one or something like that. But yeah. Right. Certainly yeah. not a, a Burt Reynolds film. I no. don't even know whether I've even watched the third one completely. No, I don't think I have. Sequels you... then, though, were always diminishing returns, weren't they? You know, you just <laughs> there were very few series of films. It was like Oh, that was popular. Let's quickly make a sequel to earn as much money mm. as we can before it be- becomes unpopular. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Uh, right. My number eight and my grandson would not talk to me if I didn't put this one in. So it's uh, the it's Lightning McQueen from Cars. Great choice. <laughs> um, and I did a bit of research and it's a mix between a Chevrolet Corvette C6 and a Corvette C1 which I thought it was anyway. I didn't need to do yeah. any research for that. i got no idea what any of that means. Um, but I put it in mainly because my grandson absolutely loves cars. He knows every single name, type of car, and he's only three, bless him. Um, um, so I had to put it in. And to be fair, it was never one of my favourite Pixar movies until my grandson Finley started like really got into it and we watch it every time he comes around. And I kind of, especially the first one, I kind of, it's got a really good heart to it. Yes, uh, yeah. the, the first cars movie. Wasn't it Paul Newman's last performance as well? It was Paul Newman's last performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just a really good, again, like you just said, Jamie, about sequels, diminishing returns for like number two and number three mm. still watchable but the first one has got a really really good heart to it like most pixar movies mm. it has and it's a great character as well lightning i mean that car turned up like a, a physical version of that car turned up to the austin formula one grand prix one year when i was there and i took a picture of myself next to it and 
everybody I was working with that had a kid of a certain age, boy or girl, was just blown away. It's like, oh, my dad has met Lightning McQueen. You know, yeah. it was just the most exciting thing. And my daughter, who's seven now, when she was about five, she just completely fell in love with him. Mm. Like, mm. She, you know, she's still got the little car now. She sits and talks to it and plays with it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Didn't it is- we met them. We met them at the Comic-Con that we did the Q&A for. They had um, Mater and Lightning McQueen outside. Huh. They did, yeah. That was before Remember? Finn. That was before Finn was born. So yeah, it was a long. Time That's a ago. shame. Oh my god, if he'd have seen that. I mean, we are we are saving up to try and go to Disneyland Paris next year to be able to go to the Cars Land bit they've got there. That'd be. Um, I don't know what. I think it'd be the same for him, like it was for me going to Galaxy's Edge. I think it'd just mm. be too emotional you know it'd be like because he's in like, like you say you stand right next to the actual lightning mcqueen it's different than seeing it on the film but mm. in his mind he's real he's you know he is a real mm. living and breathing thing but uh right jamie you're number seven bit of an odd one i've chosen the mine car in temple of doom right <laughs> 1984. <laughs> no that's, that's a, a scary good. vehicle to be yeah I, I always loved that scene i thought that was a really interesting scene and it was one of the first scenes that really kind of turned me on to the behind the scenes stuff because it was mm. quite a feat to pull off. You know, Dennis Muir and the ILM wizard built um, a magazine for a 35 millimeter Nikon camera and mounted it on a car. And then they could move that car around a miniature track and animate the characters as they mm. went. Um, and what I like about the scene as well is that we see all of our characters working together and arguing. It's comedic, it's, it's tense. Um, and... I love the fact that, you know, they, they studied roller coasters at theme parks around the US at ILM to sort of work out what it is that's scary about roller coasters. It's, it's something to do with not being able to see around the corner. So they use a lot of camera moves and camera trickery to kind of um, replicate that. And, you know, there's that funny bit where he's like, let go of the brake. And then he goes up on two wheels and he's like, shorty, come up here and take the brake. You know, it's, mm. the, it's the close the blast doors, open the blast doors kind of thing. Yes. Um, yeah. And then they, they built the full size one at Elstree. I just I've always loved that scene. I can watch it in isolation and kind of ignore some of the other bits about Temple of Doom that I don't like. But mm. um, yeah, well, that a, scene was originally scene. written for Raiders, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Mm. And they just didn't have the time or the budget or no. the inclination to do it at that point. There's too many set pieces already. So, um, yeah, it just feels like a little movie in itself because I've watched so many behind the scenes stuff and read so many things about those films over the years. It just really stands out as mm. as one that kind of brings all of the elements of Indiana Jones that, together that I like. And that's a movie that I think I watched it on Disney Plus about a month ago. And the fact that it's like the uncut version on Disney Plus, it made the movie so much better. Mm. You know, it's always apart from Crystal Skull. It's, it was like my least favorite yeah. indie movie, but it was like it's so dark. Mm. I mean, really dark. You don't realize when you actually get to see how it was intended with the bits that that was always cut away, or mm. um, it's it's a pumping heart. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a completely different movie. Well, not a different movie, but it's just so much darker. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that in the in Indiana Jones films. Mm. Um, uh, Neil, you're number seven. So it's Doctor Who's TARDIS. Now you might say, that's not a movie. But yes, it was in a movie. That's not a movie. (laughs) But the TARDIS, it's one of those, um, it's an iconic thing. I know it's mainly (laughs) from TV, but it was used in the movies. Um, What's not to love? Uh, A box that you walk into that's huge inside and it's like a massive house. 
You can go anywhere in it. You can travel any t- part of time. What's not to love about that? So quite simply, the TARDIS. Yeah, it's a simple idea, isn't it? Really mm. well executed. Are you thinking of the Peter Cushing? Yeah. Yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've always been fascinated by the TARDIS as much as I used to hide behind the sofa as a kid watching Doctor Who, always and probably a little bit it. as an adult. Yeah, um, <laughs> those those angel statues for one. Um, yeah, I've always thought the TARDIS is a very cool concept. That there's just this innocuous. Again, it's like the the phone booth, isn't it? It's just mm. this innocuous object, but there's there's kind of magic inside. That's exactly the great word to use: magic inside. So. Yeah, who wouldn't love to have a ride in the TARDIS, eh? <laughs> okay. There's a big I'm, pause I'm, there. I'm not, I'm not, You're I'm thinking the wrong sort of ride. I'm not, no, I wasn't at all. Always a mind in the gutter, Neil. I was just like, I'm not I'm not a massive Doctor Who fan. That's the thing. And I just, it's it's okay. I think out of the two, I'd prefer Bill and Ted's phone box to, to Doctor Who's TARDIS. But controversial i don't know yeah, maybe it is. maybe maybe not <laughs> um okay so my number seven was the the lotus esprit the james bond uh car so uh jamie we we'll go to your number six my number six is the speeder bike from return of the jedi nice um i was seven years old it was my birthday i was taken to the dominion theater in london it had the biggest screen at the time and i saw return of the jedi um for my birthday treat i was taken to hamley's Ooh. where I bought the speeder bike and an Atat and a snow speeder and a bunch of figures, you know, and it was just kind of overwhelming that day. But I've always loved that, the sort of the sleekness of the speeder bike designed by Nilo Rodis Jumeiro, who was the industrial designer bought on for Empire Strikes Back, then kind of refined and made sleeker by Ralph McQuarrie. Mm. Um, and then Joe Johnston uh was one of the modelers and, 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 you know, it didn't end up bearing much resemblance to Nilo's original thing, but it's just this really cool idea of this, just this guy sat on an engine. Um, and I love, again, I love the behind the scenes stuff, you know, where they planned out the, the whole sequence with Star Wars figures and yeah. you know, little maquettes going through some little, you know, cardboard trees. And I remember the, the other thing I love is the sound of them as well. I can hear the sound as soon as I think speed about, I can hear the sound. And that was a sound that um, sound designer Ben Burt chanced upon. He was walking around somewhere one day and there was a jackhammer and the air hose got blocked with a stone, I think. And it was making this unusual noise that he'd never heard before. And he just said to the guy, wait there. And he ran off and got his mic and came back to record it. So I have very fond memories of, you know, 1983 playing with the speeder bike and making it explode with a little button on the back. Mm, that's and arguing with my cousin about hang on is this your front bit or my front bit you know? <laughs> <laughs> um and i just yeah i love the biker scout that sits on there and i just think it's a really cool idea just racing through the trees and it was a scene that stuck in my head when i left the cinema i remember going back to my grandparents and they said oh how was your day and i, I all i wanted to talk about was all the vehicles in this movie the speed bike being my favorite Oh, there's one thing about I mean I love Return of the Jedi I love all the Star Wars films but I can remember back so I would have been what would I have been 14 when Return mm. of the Jedi came out and I used to listen to Radio Luxembourg back in oh, those yeah. days kids google it um, <laughs> and they had an, they had a competition where you could win tickets to the premiere of Return of the Jedi and I was listening I can remember I was listening at night time and they never told you what the phone number was to phone 
<laughs> and they kept saying, like, after every record, we still haven't got the right, correct answer for this. And I'm going absolutely apeshit. I, I can't remember what the question was, but I knew what the answer was. But they wouldn't. So you, there wasn't like a, you couldn't Google what the, the phone mm. number was. I think I even went to and phoned like directory inquiries and they had no idea. They weren't what it listed. Was. Yeah. No. And it, it was absolutely gutting the fact that I was there. I knew the answer and I couldn't get through because I didn't know what phone number it was. So I could have gone to the, I, mean, I probably wouldn't have gone. My mum and dad would have said, well, no, it's school day tomorrow or whatever. You can't, you can't go. But um, that is a good one. And it's, it again, a great it's, one. it's the thing with Star Wars iconic sounds that go with iconic vehicles you know say so you only have to hear what the sound is and you know what the vehicle is that's the beauty of star wars well i suppose all movies but especially star wars mm. uh neil you're number six so the va interceptor from mad max nice. always um stood out for me i'm i love the uh, original mad max movies uh, uh, even the new one actually but that car with its um nitrous burst and everything and okay some of the when you watch it back now the effects of where they just speeded it up when they were driving don't look quite as good as they did when i was younger or remembered them but it's still a bloody cool car and even into mad max 2 where he's got it all sort of chopped and changed and driving around i just still think yes there's a car that is just iconically cool did they have um, the same design in the new Mad Max for for the car then? Or was it just in the first Mad Max? I think it's in the first two, isn't it? I even think it appears in the third one, but not for long. But it's definitely in the first two. I mean, the right. second one, it's all chopped up, isn't it? If you remember, he's got like one door missing, there's dogs in there. He's made a, um, you know, a place for him to live in, really. Actually, it does appear in the new Mad Max, doesn't it? At the very beginning when he's... um stood there taking a, a leak and then suddenly gets in the car and shoots off. Is that... Oh, right. right. Is that yeah, I think, I think it's the same vehicle, actually, come to think of it. But to me, okay. the original Mad Max movie, it's, a, it's an iconic movie, isn't it? It's um, the start of Mel Gibson's glorious career. Um, che- just, checkered career, you could a say. Checkered career. <laughs> well, it was glorious until recently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's be honest, let's be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know whether anybody else is a fan of Mad Max, but, you know, with that... I never know what they call them. The thing that sticks out the front of the bonnet, whirring around the big. I don't know what. I think them. it's the. I think it's the bonnet whirring thing. I think that's what it's actually. That's called. the technical yeah. term. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, Jamie. Yeah. I, was never, Jamie I was never a fan of those movies. You know, I, I, I haven't seen them in a very long time. But I saw them when I was when they came out, and I could never kind of see myself in that world you know right. that's what i always wanted as a kid i wanted to connect to the world that i was yeah, seeing yeah. on the screen and i couldn't with those i'm going to revisit them it's i've got this ever-growing list of films that i should revisit and mm. reassess yeah i i mean i i'm a huge fan i watched the first mad max far too young i know my mum and dad <laughs> from the video shop so that would have been oh christ very early 80s um mm. It did, I did. I mean, I, I was terrified of a couple of films, actually watching them far too young and totally irrelevant. But <laughs> Carrie, it took me ages to re-watch Carrie because my parents let me watch it far too young because they didn't know what it was about and terrified me. Terrified you've you've me turned out all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not too bad. <laughs> Trouble is, Jamie, you can't see his uh, lampshade made of human nipples just outside of the <laughs> yes. box. Yes. You just can't yes. You can yes. get them on Etsy if you want them. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love the way that thought just jumped into your mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now who's the more disturbed? <laughs> yeah. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, right, so Jamie, you've done, we've had your number five yes. uh, in the Trans Am from Smoking mm-hmm. the Bandits, and Neil, your number five. Bond's DB5, the first Aston Martin, probably the coolest, coolest looking car. So which um, film is this from, or has this been in... Been... Thunderbolt, it was the early Sean Connery one. Everybody right. I knew, and I hope you guys were with me, had the little corgi toy of it as well, with the pop-up shield at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, they checked the, the seat the ejector seat and the two missiles that shot out the front, wasn't it? Um, it just, and they brought it back, didn't they? Was it Skyfall they originally brought it back for? Or was it Spectre? Uh, I can't remember which one, sure. but they blew it up. And I always felt my heart sink when I watched them <laughs> blow it up again. But <clears throat> just an iconic movie car. It's one that you see a lot of posters on people's bedroom walls. Still, to this day, I see pictures in people's houses of Sean Connery lent against the DB5. I know friends that have got it up on their wall. And that just, yeah, if you're going to have an Aston Martin, you'd have one of those, wouldn't you? It is one of the best-looking cars ever made. And it, mm. it defines cool, doesn't it? From it that really era. does. Yeah. It really does. I've seen a few in, in, in person at these jobs that I've worked on over the years. And there is something quite remarkable about it the design is mm. so ahead of its time you look at cars that were been being designed 
at the same time, they just look like boxes in comparison. Yeah. So sleek and stylish, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it just a brilliant car, isn't it, all round? But probably not to have driven back in the day. It's probably an awful thing to drive. But, <laughs> yeah, I would love to have seen, I would love to see one in the flesh like you have, Jamie. Mm. I would really would. Okay, we're talking of brilliant cars. My number five is the 1948 Ford Deluxe Convertible Grease Lightning. Everybody, come on. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm quite happy to to say in front of everybody that I absolutely love Grease. Always have. Um, 1978 when it first came out. My, I went with myself, my mum, and my auntie while my dad went and watched The Hills Have Eyes. Right. Uh, so uh, you can tell where my dad's like allegiance lied. He didn't want to see <laughs> Olivia Newton. And Olivia Newton John, um, I think, along with Carrie Fisher, was my first ever crush. I think she's just one of those people that has got it all. She's beautiful, got an amazing singing voice, um, and it's just, it's just. I I think even when they, before they tart it up, it's just like a cool fifties, mm. uh, you know, American car. Um, but once it's that, and it can fly. I mean, God, it can fly. I mean, what more do you want from a car? I mean, goodness me. Yeah, so that's that's my number five. I'm having that one. There is something uh, quite exotic, isn't there, about American hot rods? Because we didn't really have those in the UK. No. You know, you might see somebody with their Ford Cortina a bit jacked up. But, yeah, I, I, I've always like adored those cars in uh, American Graffiti as well. Yeah, you know, yeah absolutely. Rods, yeah. You just watch the movie thinking, oh, God, how cool are they? You still, I still <laughs> think that now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay then, Jamie, you're number four. My number four, and I think I get the feeling we're honing in on <laughs> I do very well. similar choices here. <laughs> I do um, as well. I was going to pick the 1959 Cadillac Miller uh, Meteor, uh, the Ecto One or Ectomobile from Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's my um, number two. Yeah, it, what I love about it again is it it's drives character. You know, in the story, it tells us all we need to know about Ray Stance when he turns up with it you know he's bumbling but capable intelligent but lacking awareness um you know that line he comes in with okay everyone can relax i found the car <laughs> yes. it needs suspension work shocks yeah. brakes brake pads lining steering box transmission yeah <laughs> maybe a few new rings also mufflers you know it's just it just goes on and on and yeah it's just a again an unexpected choice to have a mm. like a, a, a cadillac converted ambulance as their as their main vehicle and it is a joke you know it's a good joke mm. with a very unique siren of course yes 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 yeah it didn't quite make my top 10 i don't know i should have changed that really, I think. <laughs> you're it saying is. it's not in your top 10 neil no you are kidding me no i, I booted it the ecto one is not in your top 10 of movie vehicles a movie buff like yourself yeah and the Ecto One is not in your. T- I that I am I am flabbergasted, as Frankie Why? Howard once said. My gast has never been so flabbered. I don't. <laughs> I don't understand. I'll how- give you the reason is because I went for the the, the um, cars and vehicles that made a huge impact on me as a child. So how how would Ghostbusters not have been a huge yeah. impact? Sorry, but Jamie, car, we have this, uh, yeah, uh, this, this breakup. But this the break cars didn't like to sleep out of The Ecto-1 to me didn't leave a massive impact. Uh, yes, it was part of the plot, but it's not a car that I think, you know, is the, my greatest movie vehicle. 
Wow. Yeah, I just I think of it as kind of synonymous with the Ghostbusters. When I imagine the mm. Ghostbusters, I think of the logo, yeah, the guys, yeah, uh, and the car. Um, the logo being on the car as well, I guess. Um, it's it's a character of the movie. It is like the fifth Ghostbuster. Yeah, mm. that, I don't I, disagree. I'm I've just it just shocked. never never stuck with me. And okay, that's, that's why I booted it in the end. That's fair enough. I did nearly buy the Lego kit a few years ago of it. But yeah, okay. I don't want to go down that hole. <laughs> no, no. no. I can remember stuff. playing the computer game when Ghostbusters came out, and you had the you used to have the to view from above. It. Yeah, and you have to choose which car you want. You do like this. That's right. Bubble, yeah, bubble That's sort it. of car, and then a racing car. But I always chose the one that looked like the Ecto One because why wouldn't you? You wouldn't want any other car. It was a game seemingly without end. Wasn't it was it? a just game seemingly without end. <laughs> just went used to on hoover on. up the uh, the ghosts on the on the road there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my. It was God. like meditative in a way because it just never changed. It was just the same. <laughs> uh, go on then, Neil. What's your number four? The DeLorean from Back to the Future. Okay, that's my number four as well. That's my number three. Yeah, Ooh. I think you know when we talk about iconic movie cars, there's just another one there, isn't it? It's, Although the the wasn't it the uh, people that actually made them were flopping big time. Uh, they're not supposed to be very good cars at all. Um, and I've actually had the pleasure of sitting in one. Mm. Um, didn't when we were at that Comic Con. Um, yeah, I was going to try, but I knew if I got in there, there was no way I was going to get because <laughs> there's not much room in there, is there? When we, when no, we not at, at all. There was no room at all. Yeah, I did get in, but again, it was I just sat there thinking I'm in. The DeLorean from Back to the Future. I mean, it wasn't an original one. It's a built one for uh, for props and, um, you know, these exhibitions and that. But, yeah, isn't it just a cool vehicle and iconic for the movie itself? You speak about iconic movie vehicles as in essential to the plot. Boom. That's Mm -hmm. probably the most one, you know, the top one there. And, again, like like the Ecto-1, it's a joke when it arrives. You Mm. know, it's... Marty says, doesn't he? You built a time yeah. machine out of a DeLorean. Exactly. Because it had fallen out of production. I think 1983, it had fallen out of production. Yeah. They were 25 grand to buy, which today, by today's standards, is $63,000. Mm. Um, I also like, I was looking up some of the sort of interesting facts about it. Apparently, Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. was one of the first buyers of a DeLorean. Um, really? <laughs> little cannibal run. Burt Reynolds connection there. But. Yeah, I can understand that because he's he was quite little, wasn't he? So he'd be able to slide in and out <laughs> of DeLorean like no problem at all. I love I love the way, like from a story point of view, you know, um Doc says, Oh, you know, if you're gonna build a time machine, you'd have to do it with style. And he also says that the stainless steel construction facilitates the temporal displacement. And like, you know, it's <laughs> we sort of fall for it because it, it it again just sort of points to character, doesn't it? And reminds us how what an eccentric nature the doc has got yeah um, and you know what a, what a choice they made it was going to be a pickup truck at one time it was going to be a refrigerator at one time yeah um i don't think we would have been picking that necessarily no but again phrase. it's like you like you say it, you think now and you think well that's the only design it could have been mm-hmm. it, it's the only vehicle that makes any kind of sense and again it also it has that sleek design a bit like a testarossa mm. or a bit like the 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 lotus esprit it's got that that very sexy sort of dark design, you know. Yeah. Um, but then it's also got what I call like the the Spielberginess or the that that those guys design where they just chuck a load of shit on top of it and make it look totally unique. Yeah, you know, you've got all these different wires and bits and pieces coming out, a bit like the uh, like the Ghostbusters 
proton packs, you know, yeah. all these little greeblies and stuff that the, 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 the production design guys have made that in their mind, obviously everything, every pipe, every switch has got a reason to be there. Yeah. But they just they're just chucking stuff on there and making it stick and then painting it and then here we go that's 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 what it is mm. um but yeah my number four is the delorean as well so um uh yeah so uh, i redeem well, myself a little bit then pav have i well not really <laughs> no because that has forever shocked me to my core Why? Uh, it just has because I, I would have i would have put i would have put whatever little money I've got in my bank account yeah. on the Ecto-1. Like when Jamie said, I think we're going to all have the same kind of one. I thought, right, for you, it's just going to be which one out of the top four is going to be the Ecto-1. Not that it wasn't going to be in your top 10 at all. Yeah, um, I will no, say that. Was I will, originally. But yeah, I, I, I will say that the, the DeLorean is sort of a world apart from, you know, the Ecto-Mobile, Ecto-1. Because as you say, you know, it is, you can't think of, of Back to the Future. You can't think of that film without yeah, thinking of the DeLorean. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I have sat in one as well, actually, in Melbourne, Australia. There was one there yeah. uh, at the Grand Prix. And yes, it is quite tight. <laughs> <laughs> and also, a little plug for my podcast, I spoke to Kevin Pike, who was one of the designers and builders of, um, he's like the go-to guy now. Um, and one other little fact I found out that I thought was quite interesting about the DeLorean is they built enough spare parts to last 10 for, for a further 10 years of replacements for parts on those original ones they built wow. so there's just this huge plethora of, of parts probably many still in circulation and <laughs> I, I don't think i've i think i've only seen one delorean that wasn't a back to the future you know right. replica i saw yeah. one once just driving down the road it was in austin texas wow. and i was like how can you have a delorean without having all the gear on it Goodness me. Right then. So um, number three the, was the DeLorean for you, Jamie. Yes. Uh, so Neil, what's your number three? So it's the Batmobile, not the 66 Batmobile, even though I think that is absolutely cool. It is the 1989 Tim Burton Batmobile. I'm a huge fan of this car. The fact that it was the first car that was built purposely for that and not designed off of another car. I think it looks cool. It reminds me of the 1930s Batman comic strip car when it was first came out. Um, and so much so, talking to Lego, on the bottom shelf of my unit over there, I've got a massive Lego uh, kit of it. Um, I just think it's wonderful, wonderful car. And, uh, yeah, and I have seen it in the flesh as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. It's kind of unwieldy looking initially, isn't mm. it? It's very tall at the back. That's the right, and it it looked very dangerous when it first mm. came out, when you first saw it, the flame coming out the back. Mm. But the fact that when you watch the making of, and you back then in 89, you saw it on the Saturday morning TV or whatever mm. it was about the making of it. And they'd really made something that would do naught to 60 in, in a silly amount of time. And it mm. was a fast car and they had to look after it. Um, I think it's the best version of the Batmobile they've done. Mm. Might be controversial, okay. but I really well, do. I was going to be controversial. I mean, you might disown me now, but I, I love Batman movies, especially the the 89 one, but I haven't got a Batmobile in my top 10 because the actual design of them doesn't stir me the same as Bill and Ted's phone box or something. <laughs> <laughs> it just, there, there's something about the design of all of them that doesn't make me go, wow, that looks cool. Uh, even like the new one, the, the Batman Batmobile just looks, it is a souped up car. It's it is just a like car. Some really straight really out really of really Fast and Furious as opposed mm. to something that's custom made so did you think the tumbler looked cool yeah it looked okay but no i wouldn't say it looked oh my god that looks like 
that looks amazing. Mm. There's just I don't know the, the one that I say was my favorite. It'd be the sixty-six. Uh, yeah, the Adam West. Yeah, is that, um, like, is that again because you had the little corgi version it, of it that exactly. fired? With yeah, the little fire that, out the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, That's man. it. Oh, yeah. And had a lethal blade on the front, which actually was sharp. Did you have that I one? I can't remember. I, I, I had two. You pressed a little button on the on the bonnet, and this blade just popped out the front. And I, I could cut myself on it. It was that sharp. Seventies <laughs> wow. toys. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't they give a shit back in those days. They didn't. They really did <laughs> uh, Right. My number three is the T-65 X-Wing Starfighter. So that's specifically Luke Skywalker's. Um, oh, that's my number two. That's your number two. Yeah. Luke okay. Skywalker's X-Wing. And, and this, along with every other Star Wars vehicle, I, I look at just with awe because it looks unique it looks beautiful like i've said before but it also looks practical it looks you know it looks like it does what it should do as opposed to it being flashy and and just filmy and it's i I still it's been what over 40 years that i've watched star wars and just had it part of my dna i still will watch the movies and not look at what's going on story-wise but just look at what a simple design is mm. you know it's almost it's almost like for for x-wings and tie fighters they're playing noughts and crosses you know they've they, they've got the circle <laughs> and the cross and it's just a beautiful design but simple but also extravagant at the same mm. time yeah. And I always think back to the Kenner toys, right? Apart from one other vehicle, which I won't mention, the X-Wing was one of the f- other ones that I desperately wanted. And I got, obviously, eventually for a birthday or a Christmas. But it was one of the most, to me and to my friends that all used to play together with these toys, it was one of the most sought-after vehicles in the Star Wars universe, apart from one other. But Yeah, I had the, the battle-damaged one where you got the kind of stickers to put on the side. Uh, And I remember adding a few of those stickers to a bashed-up R2-D2 I had, so he could be the R2-D2 from the end of the first film. But you pushed down on the the sort of built-in R2-D2, didn't you, to open up the wings. wings, That's right. The the guns on the all four corners would fall off quite easily, wouldn't they? I remember that quite well. And Luke would never sit straight in the the cockpit. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, he was always leaning. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, great vehicle. I, I do remember getting kind of peed off with a friend of mine who went over to Canada see his cousins and he said oh their x-wing had had sounds in it i was like what my one has got sounds in it mm. <laughs> i've got the cheap pallet toy version yeah I was gonna say to- that there is a there is one because there's a video on youtube of a guy that takes one of the original x-wings and completely takes it apart and cleans mm. it mm. and that has got a little button on the back that makes like a whirring sound yeah oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a version in the in the states and Canada that would have have the sound. But yeah, it's another one of those things, like you say. It's kind of I don't remember a time before X wings. <laughs> like I yeah, just no. they've always been around. And as you say, it's very iconic. You see a silhouette of it, you know exactly what it is. Colin Campwell designed that original like X wing design, and then it was taken on by you know Joe Johnston and the guys and made into this thing that looks like you know it's been modified a bit over the years, but yeah, you can see it looks like a military piece of hardware, maybe slightly out of date. Hmm. But, you know, I love the way they skid as well. Oh. They made them skid in the film. I didn't actually have it on my list. It was on my list at one point, but I've obviously taken it off and I kind of regret that now. Yeah. But um, 
Let's call that my number 11. Okay, that's your number 11. Uh, right, so the X-Wing was your number two, Neil, yeah? Yep. Okay, so Jamie, what's your number two? My number two is the Millennium Falcon. <gasps> or the Millennium Falcon, um, if you're from England, it depends. Um, I love the, just the, again, the simple design, um, designed by Joe Johnston. He had to redesign the ship uh, very, very quickly because the original design for the Falcon was that, what we now know as the blockade runner, but it was deemed too similar to the ship in space in 1999. And I like, again, it's, it's a character thing. It's like Han Solo. It's a bit of a shambles, but it always comes good in the end. You know, mm. it's a bucket of bolts. It's uh, what does he say? It's got a peculiar dialect, forgetting the Solo movie for a moment. Um, it was one of the first Star Wars toys that I owned. I remember the Christmas I got it, 1982. We'd been to the local community centre the night before, and my dad had, was not a, ever a drinker, but he'd had too many drinks. <laughs> and he couldn't help me build it and put the stickers on. I remember being quite pissed off at him laying there in bed. Um, I, and I loved it. It was like nothing else. That play set, you know, you got the chessboard and the, the training ball and the little hidden compartment. Mm. Oh, it was, it's, it's magical. And, you know, I think some people say, oh, it's just a flying saucer. But what Joe did, Joe Johnson did, was put those kind of, you know, those two bits on the front and he put that piece on the side, the cockpit on the side and unbalanced it so that it looks like something we've never seen before. Um, and I just love all the lines associated with it. You know, like you came in that thing, you're braver than <laughs> I thought. And yeah. this bucket of bolts is never going to get us past the blockade and all of that stuff. It's, it's part of that universe and it's part of that universe. I sort of fell in love with aged zero and I'm still in love with. Mm. Okay, so Neil, your number two is the X-Wing. My number two is the Ecto-1. Yeah. <sighs> Neil, Jesus Christ. Well, you didn't um, moan but... at Jamie for not having an X-Wing. I thought that would upset you even more. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, su I'm more surprised at his Millennium Falcon um, position, I must admit. I had, I had the fanfare all set. <laughs> that we might have all had the same number one but we you know what it did it did it was number one at one point and i changed <laughs> it very late on okay that's fair enough right so um jamie if you want to give us your rundown from 10 to 2 okay so number 10 was the telephone box from bill and ted's number nine was the nostromo from alien number eight was the orca from jaws number seven was the minecart from temple of doom six was the speeder bike from return of the jedi Five was the Pontiac Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Number four was Ghostbusters Ecto-1. Three was the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Two was the Millennium Falcon. Okay, Neil, give us your 10 to 2. Okay, the Lotus from Spy Who Loved Me at number 10. Number nine, the Bat Bite from Nolan's Batman Universe. Number eight, Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Seven, the TARDIS. Number six, the V8 Interceptor from Mad Max. Number five, Bonds DB5. Number four, Back to the Future's DeLorean. Number three, The Batmobile, specifically 1989. And number two, Luke's X-Wing. Okay, and my 10 is the uh, Family Station Wagon from National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, number nine, The Black Pearl from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Number eight, Lightning McQueen from the, uh, from Chevrolet. Well, Izzy is Chevrolet. Uh, from Cars. Number seven, The Lotus Esprit from Spy Love Me. Six, The Pontiac Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, number five, Go Grease Lightning from Greece. Number four, the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Three, the T-65 X-Wing Starfighter. And number two, Ecto-1 
from Ghostbusters. I'm sure Neil is going to go, actually, I'm, I was messing with you. Ecto-1 is my number one. I was only messing. <laughs> uh, but Jamie, what's your number one? My number one, and it was the Millennium Falcon for a while, and I switched it around to 1967 Austin Mini Cooper S from the Italian job. <laughs> wow. Because whoa, whoa, whoa. part of the reason of that is that it was my first ever car. Right. Um, a Mini. I had the 25th anniversary silver special. I spent 75 quid on it. It was a bit of a heap. Me and my dad fixed it up, and it was my, it was my key to freedom. So I've always had this massive affection for minis. If I see an original mini now, I just want to go and look at it. I just want to go and touch it. I want to get in it. I want to have a, I want to buy one. You know, if it, some people dream when they win the lottery, they'll buy, you know, a Lamborghini. I would buy an Austin Mini Cooper S, that 1967 model. Um, and, I, you know, again, I like the behind the scenes story that they wanted to have minis, but um, BMC, the British Motor Corporation, wouldn't give them. They refused to supply the cars. Fiat offered a load of Fiat 500s, but the director, Peter Collison, went and said, you know, look, this is a British story. We need British cars. So they kind of begged, stole and borrowed minis from everywhere. So, yeah, I, I, the Falcon was there, but the mini takes its place because I can get in one of those and I can drive it around. Right. That's fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, right then, Neil, you're number one. I think it's probably the same as yours, Millennium Falcon. Um, yes yes yeah but to me when i was first asked this question your favorite movie vehicle that was the one that popped straight in my head without any question or any doubt um we talk we've talked over and over again of iconic vehicles and and iconic things i think the millennium falcon is probably the most iconic vehicle like you said it goes hand in hand with han solo they're one and the same aren't they they're both the same sort of character um and it looks great and always has looked great. You know, being a kid watching that film for the first time, which I always thought was in 77, but wasn't, was in 78. We found that out, didn't we, yeah. pal? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just seeing it, it was, again, it was the, the must-have toy. It, everybody wanted that toy, like you spoke about, Jamie. Um, and I still love it to this day. I don't know how many incarnations I've got of it around my house, but there is a lot. There is a lot. Do you remember so, the first one you got? Was it in the Star Wars? The Empire, it was. It the was. Jedi box? It would have been. I reckon it would have been after the maybe coming up towards Empire Strikes Back. I can remember getting it for Christmas because my brother got really annoyed um, and wanted it as well, and then he ended up getting one the following Christmas. <laughs> so we had two in the house. But yeah, I did. I um, yeah, I can't remember what year it was though. I got it for the Christmas. But I remember getting it. The box was huge, if you remember getting it. I mean, the oh, box was far I had it for too years big. For storage, I used to put like, stuff in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the box was so big for the, what you got inside of it. Talk about wasteful packaging like then. But yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, just iconic. I mean, you probably feel the same, Pa, but just I can't think of a movie vehicle without thinking of that first. I genuinely have a disturbing love affair with the millennium falcon yeah. I, I, I i there is something about it that i not sexually obviously but um there is i i genuinely it was and it was reawakened reawoken with the force awakens because mm. when that movie came out you realized i realized just how much i loved that particular vehicle and, and i know i've banged on about it in 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 past episodes 
But when you are stood in Galaxy's Edge with the Millennium Falcon in front of you, you can you can do nothing but cry because it is <laughs> it is an actual physical thing in front of you. And you can spend hours just looking at all of the detail, walking around it, flying in it when you go and, and do Smuggler's Run. And that, for me, makes you love it even more. When you can say to... I think it was my daughter that was sat next to me and I said, punch it, Chewy, to her. And, and yeah. see, it is a fascinating, a fantastic and amazing experience to, I was going to say, get in something that you love, but that makes it sound really dirty. I didn't mean it in that way. Um, but, yeah. Just rephrase it and we'll <laughs> yeah. stick that bit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but it is, it's an iconic, I think for me, doesn't go far enough. And it's it's something mm. that is is so much of a character of the movie. Um, I it's, it's a vehicle that's been with you throughout your life, pretty much. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. You know, you saw it when well, I would have been six or whatever I was when I saw Star Wars for the first time, and it's been there forever. Yeah, you know. But, but you know what? It was only maybe a couple of years ago that I realised that the cockpit like span around or whatever. You know, when it does the like the topsy turvy moves. Mm. I could never work out how come everybody isn't like upside down. It's because the cockpit rotates. I didn't realize that. It never dawned on me that the cockpit rotates. <laughs> it makes perfect sense, obviously, because otherwise, you know, it'd just be a mess in the cockpit if he decides to do his sort of spinny thing. It just and then when you watch the Mandalorian, the mm. inside of the of the slave one or whatever they're calling it these days mm. rotates. Because it's in at such a, it flies at such a weird angle. It's yeah. those kind of things that I love that somebody has actually thought about it instead of just going, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll do that, and it doesn't really matter. You talk about iconic, and I think you know it's probably the vehicle that I've doodled the most. I can just draw it now. I think as a kid, I drew that thing endlessly, just in two mm. D. You know, just it just was the thing that came out of my hand if I was doodling at school or yeah. if I was on the telephone or something. Um, it's just what those guys and girls did back then to design those ships, the Falcon being probably the, the zenith of all, you know, is just being able to make something that you can recognise from every single angle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it so much that I've got, I have a tattoo on my skin of the Millennium Falcon. Do so I do. <laughs> I do, um, and and so I think you know it, it feels it's more it's more. I would of have doodled me. one for you. Oh, oh if I'd have known, <laughs> if I'd have known. Um, so that's it. That's our top tens. Um, oh, I was so hoping to play the fanfare, but there you go. We can't. I'm we sorry. Can't. Do you know you no, up no, until about fine. ten minutes before, and then I thought, do you know what? Yeah. Buck the trend. Um, you don't get told off of bucking the trend, though, Jamie. <laughs> no, well, told off. If I was more of a regular, I'm sure I would. He's, but he's a guest. He's a guest. <laughs> um, uh, before we talk to you about your your stuff, there's a couple of honourable mentions. Um, Alice Oliver, our pal from the uh, that uh, just movies and that, just films and that, pulls that up. Titanic. She said, oh. um, which was a good one. It was, but um, watching that movie, I couldn't wait for the ship to sink. Yeah, I know, I you're, you're that, not a fan I'm of like, really really a dark like choice. You know? Yeah, yeah, don't like um, that movie at all. And on Twitter, at Dr. Ben Swift says Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile. Oh! Which obviously oh, is... I forgot uh, that one. Yeah, that's been a... That's been Dr. Oh. Ben Swift. Oh, do you? How wonderful. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 that's been a co-star of Sam Raimi movies all through the years, hasn't yes, it? Yes, in every movie, I think it is. Indeed. Done, right. isn't it? Now, when we had you on 
however many years ago we spoke to you about your filmumentaries, uh, which are on um, they're on YouTube, I believe. On Vimeo. They're on yeah. Vimeo. Mm. Um, and I remember watching a couple of those. I think when we were when we spoke before. Mm. Um, so, what made you decide to do a podcast after doing the uh, the, the or explain what the filmumentaries are first? Well, the filmumentaries were something I started back in two thousand and six, where I would take all of the behind the scenes material from any given film. I chose The Empire Strikes Back first, then I did Return of the Jedi, then Star Wars, then Raiders of the Lost Ark, then Jaws. And I would gather all of this information and I would make this kind of um, 3D puzzle of all the behind the scenes stuff. So layering it on. So you're watching the movie, but you're watching the movie being made mm. at the same time. Um, the reason I started the podcast is when the pandemic happened, I lost all of my work. I work in live sports and all of live sport just disappeared. Um, Formula One being my, my regular kind of bread and butter job for the last 20 years. Everything disappeared. So I thought, being a creative person, what could I do with my minimum resources? Hang on, everyone's at home. Maybe I can do a podcast and speak to people over Zoom, as we're doing now. And um, I thought it would also be another way for me to make some contacts to then go and shoot more, more videos and do more interviews for some of my other projects. Because in between the filmumentaries and the podcast, I also did some interviews where I interviewed Robert Watts, the Star Wars producer, Ivor Powell, who was a producer on Blade Runner and Alien, and the upcoming Finch, he wrote that, um, that's coming on Apple TV in a bit, um, with Tom Hanks. Um, and yeah, I just thought the podcast was a way to sort of keep my hand in that world. And I'm 35 episodes in now, just about to put the 36th one out tomorrow, which is with Sean Barton, who direct, uh, edited, sorry, Quadrophenia and Return of the Jedi. Um, he co-edited it, but he says about 75% of it is his. He had some uh, interesting stories as well, some of which I won't be putting in the podcast. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a hobby. Um, but it's something now that started to turn into work in a way, because, you know, I have my patrons on Patreon who kindly donate money each month to sort of keep me going, really. So I'm able to turn down a day's work doing my, my regular job as a freelancer in favour of doing something I love even more, which is to, you know, delve into these stories of people who worked on the movies that I love. I've, I've been listening to um, some episodes, the the Dan Lanigan one from, because um, I love that show that's on Disney Plus, the uh, prop culture show. Mm. Um, I can remember seeing a video with him and um, Adam Savage, I think it was when they were, mm. he was showing him the Blade Runner guns that he got. Some of the stuff that that guy has got. Now you're friends Damn. with him anyway, am, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, I've, I've, I'm still yet to see the collection. I was actually out in LA 2018, 2019. I, I was in New Mexico. Uh, sorry, I was in Mexico City doing a job. And I'd been in contact with Dan um, about prop culture, done some consulting work on it for him. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to pop up there. So I went up there and sort of helped them out for a week on that show as well. And he kept saying to me, oh, you must come around tonight and have a look. But something always got in the way. So... I still have not got my hands on Deckard's hero gun or his Indiana Jones jackets and hats and whips. And he's, I mean, yeah, he's actually one of the biggest prop collectors in the world and uh, has been very good to me. And, you know, he's very much supported my work and he's helping me trying to get in contact with some, some big names as well that he's dealt with over the years. So um, yeah, he's definitely a good, good ally. And the Gary Rydstrom episode was the other one that I really enjoyed. Mm. Cause this, I think, what I love about your podcast is that you're you're not. I mean, I'm sure if 
Spielberg said, "Come on, Jamie, I'll, I'll chat with you," then you you wouldn't say no. Yeah. But but you're speaking to a lot of people that go under the radar, if you like. Mm. The yeah. people that are the hidden heroes, especially someone like Gary Rostrom is a Oscar-winning sound designer and stuff. Mm. Um, do you purposely go for those those kind of um, people as guests? I do. I think, you know, we all know the name Ben Burt, for instance, you know, the guy who made all the sounds on Star Wars. And sometimes it's as if he's the only sound designer that exists, you know. Mm. And I know that Gary, you know, he did a lot of the Toy Story stuff. He worked on Terminator 2. He did the Jurassic Park sounds. You know, he's done some of the later Star Wars He's like the guy in the industry doing what he does, um, along with Mark Mangini, you know, who hopefully I'm speaking to again. He worked on Mad Max Fury Road and Blade Runner 2049, and he's just done Dune as well. Um, so I'm going to see that in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, and, and get him back on as well, because that's the great thing about it. I'm making these contacts and I'm making creating these relationships with these people, particularly those who have ongoing careers. It's going to be interesting to see how, they develop over time and what films they end up working on and I, I just I'm always fascinated you know I sit there looking at the credits and I think every one of those people there has got a story to tell about that film they just worked mm. on and hardly any of them will get the chance to tell it um, and I've been very lucky with the guests I've had they've all been interesting and they've all been you know very willing and very forthcoming with stuff so yeah I'm, I'm loving it to be honest with you I'm I just occasionally like I was three or four episodes ahead recently and I thought yeah this is no problem I'm putting this one out tomorrow and I haven't recorded another one yet. Um, and I'm doing two a month at the moment. So mm. yeah, I have to kind of pull my finger out and find somebody. Yeah. Welcome to our pain. That's, that's <laughs> podcasting for you. Yeah. you. You have everything yeah. I've got. I've got lists of our schedule between now and like the end of the year. And you only, only need one person who can't make it. And then, well, that's everyone... what happened. Yeah. I had two yeah. people drop out and it's like, yeah, disappeared overnight. Yeah, and then what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, we will put the the link to the the podcast in the show notes because I would, if you are a movie buff, I would thoroughly recommend it. And also go on to Disney Plus and watch the Prop Culture Show because it mm. is it is fantastic. They managed to pair people up, you know, people that have been in films with some of these long lost props from movies that we all love. It's a it's a great. Uh, and you and you're are you supposed to be working? Um, with Dan on some projects or is that we've, we've we've had a few ongoing projects that we had a uh, one that got very close to sort of the point where we could start to pitch it to Netflix and Disney and so on but unfortunately that didn't kind of work out for reasons I can't go into but <laughs> we've always got something some idea going on they're working on something at the moment I've been helping them with with a with a pitch video um, putting them in contact with some people here and hopefully getting involved in that so Dan's just, he keeps saying to me, Jamie, I want to, you know, I really want to work more with you and you need to be paid is what he keeps saying <laughs> because all of this stuff I do, I don't get paid apart from the Patreon stuff, which has been great. You know, mm. um, it isn't going to pay all the bills, but it's certainly fantastic to have a hobby that you can kind of break even on. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Uh, Neil, do you want to tell everybody how they can get involved uh, and uh, listen and watch all our stuff? Absolutely. So you can find us on all the social media sites at Top Ten Pods. That's T O P T E N Pods. You can email us with any questions or anything you want to know at Top Ten Pods at hotmail.com. And please do come and help support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash 
top 10 pods where we you can get rewards such as our episodes super early bonus episodes behind the scenes videos and even a chance to be a guest on your own episode what's not to like about that check out all our links on via linktree you can find the link in the show notes and please 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 come and subscribe and leave us a rating review on apple Podcasts, or subscribe and follow on spotify stitcher or wherever the hell you get your podcast from wonderful jamie thanks so much for spending time with us maybe we'll awesome. see you again in uh, 2026 maybe <laughs> let's do it let's put it on the schedule now yeah, put yeah it on there absolutely now. i'll put it on there now but don't you go dropping out because i know what happens <laughs> oh, never <laughs> thank you very much jamie thanks guys it's been fun thank you thank you neil and uh, you, let's start the countdown Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.